0: Hey, everybody out there. Thanks a lot for sticking with us. I'm trying to think of a way. I feel like this show's been a little a bit of a downer today. Really, a lot of them can be a little bit of a downer when you talk about what's going on. But, uh, yeah, I played that bumper. For those of you listening, the podcast didn't hear the bumper, but I played uh, Pink Floyd's, uh, the, uh, brick in the wall, which is, uh, you know, has that phrase in it, uh, we don't need no indoctrination, uh, teacher, leave them kids alone. Isn't that sad that that would be sort of a rallying cry in some places now? Some of you out there are teachers. I talk to you all the time, or I talk to teachers all the time, and uh, they're stunned by what's going on in education in the United States, and they're stunned on what's going on around them. And I think there's a significant minority, if not a majority, depending on where you're at, of course, of teachers that just wildly disagree with the curriculum and the way things are done in a lot of these places and just aren't able to do much about it. I mean, you don't have a real voice uh, as a, a first-line teacher and things like that. And you certainly don't have a voice, if you're a member of the union, about what the union does with your money. I can't imagine anybody that's listening to this show that can watch Randy Weingarten, who's, uh, you know, the, what is it, the American Federation of Teachers, or what is it, the, uh, yeah, I think that's what she's the president of. Teachers Union, who, you know, is just a complete nut job. And I can't imagine her ever teaching anybody anything. I guess suppose at some point she was an educator. It's probably better for the children that she's doing what she is now, if not better for us. It's certainly better for her pocketbook. Makes some big money. You teachers out there, if you're that, you're paying some big money to these people in these unions. And not just one. There is huge staffs of these unions. To say nothing about you know directing their millions, tens and twenty million dollars sometimes into various campaigns and against uh, statewide initiatives. Many of which that you have a hard time imagining that have anything to do with education, but they do have a lot to do with unions. So if you're ever interested, you should look at some of these unions, especially the bigger ones, the state-wide unions and the national ones at the kinds of things that they've given money to. I know I've read that on the radio in the past, and it's pretty stunning. Not only the amounts, but some of the uh, causes that they decide to celebrate or support that you think, how does that have to do directly with teaching or education? Well, it's because uh, people at that level not about education so much as they are about their union. This is the danger with all sorts of unions. Many unions start off being very useful and necessary uh, as an as a sort of an oppositional force to, you know, private companies and the, the power they might have. Certainly was kind of abused in the past in the thirties and so forth. But unfortunately, what should happen with unions in, in some of these instances is a little bit like Marx thought should happen with government. Remember, if you listen to Marx, what's supposed to happen is after this communist wonderful flowering revolution and then the, the bourgeoisie sort of disappears and the worker rises and the state withers away, literally withers away what Marx says. That never happens to anything that says they're a communist country. The state only becomes more and more huge and controlling <laughs> But in the case of unions, even the ones that are pretty good, sometimes I think it would be better if they followed that example is that they just withered away. They meet their purpose, and then instead of sort of compressing down to serve just sort of as a maintenance function or maybe even wither away if they're not necessary, they just continue to grow and leverage. Because it's like all of these uh, pressure groups out there. When they get what they ask for originally, they can't stop. Because it's no longer about that. It's about their continued existence. And their continued existence has to be based upon some imaginary, in many cases, or vastly inflated idea that what they originally were empowered to do is still out there and not only still going on, but if you look at some of these organizations that, that, you know, the Black Lives Matter, people like that, that it's worse. It's worse than it was 20 years ago. I mean, that's kind of what you're hearing. And it's really about money. Remember, when people tell you something, 90% of the time, if they say it's not about the money, it's about the principle, it's about the money. There's a few examples that are are different than that, but for the most part, I would say about 90-10 is about how that runs. So it's very difficult in education to get around the vast amount of money and resources that they have. You may, by the way, recall uh, just from this last week on Tuesday that there was a real wave of victory for conservatives and parents in school boards in Florida. Twenty five out of the 30 candidates that were backed by DeSantis and his folks won. And most of these were targeted in areas where it was, you know, not an easy race And I listened to DeSanta speak about this and I was trying to remember where I heard him speaking and off the top of my head. I couldn't remember because I've heard him several times this last week. But he was so spot on about it. And it is something that we should think of very, very carefully. Here where I'm at in Colorado and Mesa County and wherever you're listening, it's almost always the same. What he was saying was that the... School board choices are almost always nonpartisan. Now, maybe they started out that way in the 20s where nobody thought that it was important one way or another and that you didn't want to get political parties involved and all this stuff. But most of the time, these nonpartisan elections, and where I'm at and many places where other people are at, nonpartisan means elect Democrats because they love nonpartisan elections in Republican-leaning areas because most of the nonpartisan elections are for things like city council or school board or things that, for reasons that have only now become apparent, we need to pay a lot more attention to, like a lot of attention, and should have been paying attention all along. And so what DeSantis said, and I thought was so true, he says that the unions, for the most part, and the school boards especially, go out and find candidates, and he said they dress them up to look like they're in line with the rest of the community, sort of put a few little things out there about them, help them a little bit here and there, and then they energize their base of voters who are really just like everybody else in the community who haven't spent enough time exploring who these candidates are. But they get a missive from their union that says, this person is on our side and will support us and be our guy, so vote for him. So most people will do that without really knowing anything about it. And as bad as that sounds, kind of, it's it's human nature. It's, if everybody says, this is our guy, he's we can elect our boss. Like I've said many times, who doesn't want a job that you can elect your boss? That's what these things are doing. School boards, city councils, where you get a whole big raft of uh, government employees that get together to try and uh, vote for and choose uh, candidates. It's very difficult to defeat that because government is growing at an enormous pace. I think that, you know, I think the federal government, just the federal government in the United States is bigger than the army of three or four countries in Europe. You know, they're they're everywhere. And so even at the state and local level, there's tons of employees out there. And while there's many good employees, I always have to say that, uh, and I'm not just saying it because I know it to be true. But there's a lot that don't really know, and there's a lot that are locked into a job that pays pretty well, even if they're not too crazy about it, and, you know, they, they'd like to keep it, even though they wish they could find something else that paid as well, but sometimes they can't. That's a different problem. The best paying job in your community should not be for the government. That, when you think about that, that's not how that should work. I don't, you don't mind paying people well if they do a good job in government, but it should not be the brass ring in your community. Anyway, so, you know, the word goes out there, too. Some of these places are unionized. Some of them might as well be unionized. But with the teachers, they, there's a built-in, you know, sort of drum circle there the, where the word gets out. And everybody wants to vote for their boss. Even if you don't necessarily like what they're doing, you have to have really strong feelings, the other directions, to not do that. And you have to really know a lot about all the candidates. And most people aren't, aren't doing that or haven't done that in the past. They assume they're probably okay, and at least they're more on our side. Well, that's not how it's been turning out. So uh, he said that it gets very difficult because he says you already have a built-in base of voters that you have to kind of overcome and get the word out about people. But he said what you find out, he says, if if you engage with an organization, he says there's nothing wrong. And we found out here in Mesa County, Colorado, where I'm at and where many of you are listening, is – that we found that if you identify these guys as at least Republicans and get an agenda from them to say, look, this is what we plan to do and publicize it, people will vote for them when they find that out. This side hates that. Now, we've already seen an attempt in Colorado to limit that. Uh, They went hysterical at the legislature when some of these school boards in Colorado uh, changed. Douglas County, Mesa County was the other one. They flipped out on that. So the first thing they did was try and make sure that they can limit the amount of money that school board candidates can use. So they put that under the same as county officials. They say, well, that's fine. You know, you don't want one person buying it. Well, of course, that never stops one person like our governor in Colorado, Jared Polis, you know, the luckiest round-headed kid uh, in America that's wealthy to just write his own check. But that being aside, remember that The problem with spending limits in politics sometimes is it almost always favors the incumbent who already has name recognition, a political machine in place, the ability to grant favors to people, uh, the fear of people from going against him. What if he wins again? He is the incumbent. And I got to put up the fact that he knows I supported someone else. So in order to turn other voters out and stuff, you usually have to have a fair amount of money. You usually have to spend more than the other person unless they're just a complete dunderhead. Uh, or Hillary Clinton, same thing. Uh, so what you get is it's a limitation on challengers. That's the idea. That's why you want to limit that. And uh, there's some other reasons that are good on the other side about trying to get money out of politics. The problem is that every time you do, you end up limiting the ability of someone to challenge an incumbent, no matter who they are. So that's a bit of a problem. And they just they immediately doesn't work workarounds for it especially with these outside groups, right? I mean, I can limit the amount of donations that are made to a candidate, but I'm not limiting the amount that, you know, some 527 group or somebody may run ads or turn out people for rallies. I mean, so it's all just kind of a, it's an illusion when you try and do that. But it's, it's meant to try and uh, keep candidates that don't have all of those tools already from being able to use... Uh, media and mailers and things like that, which is essentially media, I suppose, uh, to their advantage. But anyway, uh, he just said when people are able to see when these candidates are revealed for who they really are in most cases, parents make a different choice. We need to do that here. Same thing on our city council. We just have some of the, the, the people who, if they knew who they were, <laughs> really <laughs> in terms of what they really think, and then what they've been doing, uh, you would not vote for them again, much less put them in the first place. So we're going to have to really get on that. Also, uh, one of the things that have been suggested is to make school boards and city councils not be off your elections. See, they love that because it, delu- it the vote gets diluted down so it's a lot smaller. So if you have a, have a built-in voting group, uh, a union, uh, a uh, city you know, city-employee-powered kind of thing, like, say, the Lori Lightfoots of the world or things like that, uh, they're going to make sure that they vote. They're going to get those votes out. The people that are interested in having you in there will get those votes out. The general public, who probably would vote for somebody else if they knew it was going on, don't turn out for those kinds of elections. So off-year elections were great for them. Whereas if you have an election, say, oh, I don't know, on a presidential year, let's say, you get a lot more people who are much more engaged voters, and that's not good for people like that. So, and I'm not saying everyone that's a city councilman or obviously not a, a school district member, because we have some great ones now and some more coming up, I think. But uh, they get much more scrutiny at that time. And people turn out more partisan, and since they're more partisan, they want to know more about the vote, who they're voting for. That has a tendency to make the election work a little differently. So there'll be a, nobody will want to do that. And <laughs> not, not any place that has a, uh, uh, that is more of a conservative community. Because in that case, the Democrats always want to have a nonpartisan and no money in it and this and that so they can use the underground resources that they have uh, or they're sort of slightly out of sight resources in those races. So I, I thought that was great on his part. Uh, a couple of things I want to bring up here too because I have in my notes because we're getting down here. Uh, the search warrant I had down. I mean, everybody's heard a million things about the search warrant now. Um, for God's sakes, I mean, I read through it. You know, it's so redacted that it's it's like there's out of every four pages, there's only one that uh, is comp- rather there's only three that you can read. One is it would be like one is completely redacted, and that means that a lot of the the rest of it is uh, articles, prepositions, sentence parts, this and that. It doesn't tell you hardly. And who didn't think that was going to happen? I mean, certainly this goofy magistrate, this employee of the court that signed this, that's why he did it. You know, he knows it's not going to clear the air. The only thing we did see from it, frankly, is that some of these leaked things, like nuclear must- stuff is in there, and that none of that's in that search warrant. And it, what is in the search warrant that you can tell, it's all of this nonsense back and forth about these archival materials, uh, classified archival materials. So... And when you're the president, you can see anything you want and you can declassify anything you want. You guys have heard all these arguments before. Here's the one thing that should be interesting to take away from this. And you may have heard it, but if you didn't, Joe Biden, before this warrant was issued, removed or he thinks he can remove the executive privilege of President Trump over those documents. Now, think about that, how absurd an idea that is. Right. Because the whole idea of executive privilege is, you know, that the executive has some privilege over communications and things like that because otherwise no one would talk to anybody in the White House. And when you leave office, right. So if when you leave office, if your predecessor controls your executive privilege over things that happened during the time you're in office or things that discuss what was going on in office or in your possession or something, that somehow the New president can just wave that with a stroke of his hand, pen, or in Joe's case, you know, grimacing at it and having someone put some pudding on it so he looks down. That, that's a sufficient. It can't possibly be sufficient. Can't possibly work. That would be absurd. It's not been tested in the courts, kind of a new idea, but they, I think they figure that by the time this all shakes out that it won't make any difference to be past the midterms. Don't kid yourself. Part of this is to get Trump and worrying about 2024. The other part, and I'm not even sure it's too far trailing behind that, is the idea that we're going to have this going on. This was, I don't think it's a good idea. I think that they thought it was a good idea. And we're going to distract everybody from what Joe Biden is doing and Congress is doing, controlled by the Democrats, by having everybody so fascinated by Donald Trump and his terrible, you know, orange revolution, you know, that he's doing out there. And that will distract everybody because January 6th wasn't getting her done. So I think this is part of why they did that. And they'll just drib and drab this out. I don't know exactly how it's gonna end up. I worry about an indictment. I don't imagine there's anything there that he can't litigate in terms of like, you don't have a case against me because it's not illegal. You can say it is, but it's not. But that doesn't make any difference to them because then it will it will stick a little bit. And there's always the idea, let's let's look and see what's happening in this justice system we have now. I mean, if you're a Republican or a Trump supporter, and they bring a case against you in the District of uh, Columbia, I'm not even sure they have a trial. <laughs> Why waste people's time? You know, let's just send a, you know, let's just find random people in the phone book, send like 12 ballots out, have them check them, and send it back in. Save everybody a bunch of money. It does not seem like it's maybe an ideal place to get a, a fair uh, hearing on uh, your position if you're a conservative and a Trump supporter. So I worry a little bit about that, but I I think that secondary to trying to, uh you know, keep the president from running again in 2024, there's this idea that we can just raise enough uh enough stuff in the air that it will distract from what Joe's doing and everybody else is doing. Uh, it's kind of working. I mean, we do hear too much about this. I'm you know the news. They're Brett Bear of it all. Brett Bear. God, is it just me? Is he just insufferable? I mean, Chris Wallace has left. And now we have, Brett Baer, a dumber version of Chris Wallace, you know. I mean, Chris Wallace was a partisan on the other side, but he at least had above a room temperature IQ. Brett Bear goes into these very, like he's really analyzing something. You know, what it's like having your 10-year-old come in with a really deep idea that he just thought of that, you know, it's been around a long time, but he just thought of it, and so he thinks it's really something. Brett Bear is an adult, and yet he comes in with these ideas well i read the search warrant and i did this and that you listen to it you think first of all why do you hate trump (laughs) because it feels that way sometimes but more importantly is you're not saying anything of any interest to me i don't get it he's tedious and biased certainly slightly biased perhaps i think more than that and doesn't offer anything he's like megan kelly Megan Kelly, we discovered, was a creation of the producers, apparently, on that show, because I haven't seen anything interesting out of her. And all she's done uh, this, this week, I guess, she uh, uh, called out uh, Fauci on her podcast with the uh, F-bomb. Way to go, Megan! You're nobody's friend, it doesn't seem. <laughs> but, you know, everybody has to make up their own mind about it. But I, was, uh, I, w- I didn't find that particularly helpful uh, from her to do. I thought it was a little bit much for me. Uh, so, anyway, uh let's see before we get out of here. I've talked too long is uh <laughs> there's something I would bring up oh by the way, I could not remember if I talked about this, but I put something on our our uh, web page the uh, actually at the uh, Facebook page at political Viking about the twenty seven cent fee in Colorado. I couldn't remember if we talked about it on the radio or not uh, people let me know because I could not remember. I've talked to several people about it. Remember there's a 27-cent delivery fee on every single thing that comes to your house in Colorado now? took place July 1. Polis signed that. Yeah, 27 cents, everything that comes to your house. $2 item, 27 cents. $100,000 item, 27 cents if it's delivered by a motor vehicle. This is to pay for all the damage, apparently, that these motor vehicles are doing to Colorado roads. So uh, another fee... Uh just another bite, just a small bite, just like a mosquito. And of course you're covered in a hundred of those now, so it's starting to get to be a little a little bit much. So I can't remember if I talked about that or not, but that's what that is. Take a look at that. Just look up twenty seven cent delivery fee in Colorado. You'll probably get a glowing newspaper article about it, but uh it's terrible. The other thing was I, I wanted to bring up from the last segment was remember we were talking about Uh, Zuckerberg, you know, admitting that the FBI said there was going to be all this misinformation and they should be careful about it just before Hunter's laptop broke. Yeah. Well, he also mentions in there that they, you know, that they, while they could make it still available on Facebook, they could sort of throttle down its availability and so forth. And people kind of move on. Don't you wonder what that means? I hear that fairly often from these tech people. Throttle it down, misdirect, you know, kick it back. What does that mean? How do they do, what are they doing to make something less available like that. Not just block it, but making it What's? Don't you like to know? There's a lot I'd like to know about big tech. Maybe we'll find out. Hey, we'll talk to you next week, folks. Keep fighting.